couple of weekends ago, I, uh, I had a work thing on a Saturday, and I was arriving late to a party uh, that uh, my wife Louisa and my son, 10-month-old uh, son Rupert, were at. And Jago happened to be at this party, and Jago was leaving just as I was arriving. And Jago said to me, uh, Jamie, I'm beginning to see more and more the family likeness. I'm beginning to see more and more um, that Rupert is looking more and more like you, Jamie, particularly when he's upset. I thought, thanks for that, Jago. Uh, we all know that, that babies can uh, swing very, very quickly uh, from laughing to crying. And you and I both know that, that we often live our lives on these twin tracks of, of battle and blessing. Perhaps for those in number 10, the metaphor gets a bit messy and it involves a train falling off the tracks, and I'm not sure. Uh, but maybe you're a follower of Jesus, and you're thinking, uh, I, well, you know, I'm new to this thing, and I didn't even realize that I was in a battle. I didn't even realize that I was in a battle. Or you're just going about your life, and it's like this tennis ball hits you. You think, I didn't realize I was playing tennis. Or you get, you get hit with uh, an arrow, and you think, I didn't realize that I was in a war. But the reality of the Christian life is one of battle. And so today, I'm going to speak on battle is for everyone. Uh, when I went to the, the swimming pool recently, I, when I arrived at the swimming pool, there were three different lanes with, uh, with different signs on them. Uh, one that said slow, one that said moderate, and one that said fast. And I thought to myself, which lane am I going to choose? And then I thought, Jamie, you're an Anglican minister. You're going to choose moderate. <laughs> but just as C.S. Lewis said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. No neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And so this means that it's not for the super spiritual. This means it's not for the super spiritual. No, it means that battle is for everyone. On the face of it, uh, what we see in Ephesians 6 sort of seems like a fairly abrupt way for, for Paul to end uh, his letter to the Ephesians. He began with a song, and now he's ending with a rallying cry. But when you, when you realize what we're up against, and when you, you, you think about what Paul has spent the past five chapters looking at, well, it begins to make total sense. Because we've been looking at how church is for everyone, how God has this, this plan to tear down the divides between races, between class, between cultures, and for the church to be this, this united front, this united front of, of purity and of power. And you and I, we don't, we don't just sort of drift into this life, into this way of being by accident. In 1912, uh, William Booth, who, who founded the Salvation Army, uh, he stepped into the Royal Albert Hall uh, to give his final address. And what was his final message? It was this. While women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While little children go hungry as they do now, I'll fight. While men go to prison in and out, I'll, in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a poor lost girl upon the streets, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. Over the top, a little much, 
I think not. As, as a follower of Jesus, your mission is righteous. The struggle is real. And the battle is for everyone. And this is what's at stake. You and I, we're in a war. We are in a war together as, as a church. Not, not lone rangers, not individuals, but we're in a war as an army. And it's not for the faint-hearted. Because raiding the gates of hell is no walk in the park. And so we're going to need to talk about the devil. The infographic Bible shows us here that the top 50 subjects that Jesus taught on. And Satan comes in at number five. Satan comes in at number five of the topics that Jesus speaks on. And so more often than the law, more often than uh, Jesus' own death, more often than his resurrection, more often than prayer, even more than the Holy Spirit. I want to speak about the Holy Spirit every week I speak to you. But you think Jesus is a great teacher? He's just a great teacher? Well, this is what he teaches on. And just like Jesus is quite clear, he's quite explicit and quite straightforward about hell, that hell exists and what hell is like, which we've talked about before. You and I, we can, we can squirm in our seat, we can try to explain it all away, or we can choose to take Jesus at face value. And make no mistake, you and I have an enemy, and Jesus does not want you and I to be naive about the devil. One of the, uh, one of the wisest most joy-filled, most fun-filled people I know, Debs. Uh, Debs is part of this church. She spoke to our staff team on Wednesday. And she spoke about uh, the one passage that has stuck with her, has remained with her ever since uh, when she was at uni. It's where Peter writes, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Obviously, it's, it's, quite, it's much easier for a lion to devour you if you're on your own and if you're not in the pack. Resist him, Peter says. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. People are very uh, quick to always sort of say, well, uh, there's a danger, there's a real danger here of having a morbid uh, fascination with the devil. And they're right about that. But there's also a danger. And I suspect it's the danger that applies to approximately 95% of us here in this room. It's the danger of not thinking about the devil enough. Because each of us, we're all in the same category that Peter describes here. The family of believers throughout the world that is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And so what the Bible invites us to do is to know your enemy, to be aware of your enemy, to not get obsessed by him, but not to ignore him either. And in a moment, we're going to look at exactly how we stand firm, how we stand firm, just as Peter says, and just as Paul says too. But first, some good news, some good news. Jesus, he has defeated the devil on the cross. Jesus has risen again, he's ascended uh, to heaven, and Jesus has the victory. So it's just like, like D-Day, 
It's like D-Day in World War II. We know who wins, we know who has the victory, but we've got many, many more miles until we reach Berlin. And in this time, in this age, the devil is prowling around like a wounded dragon, and he's more dangerous than ever. And so just like in the war, we're gonna need to support each other, and we need each other more than ever. Because if our motto, if our motto is on earth as it is in heaven, Satan's motto is on earth as it is in hell. In his book, Live No Lies, John Mark Comer writes this, for Jesus, that the devil is the archetype of a villain who is hell-bent on destruction. He just wants to watch the world burn. His motto, tear it all down. Wherever, wherever he finds life, he tries to stamp it out. Beauty, deface it. Love, corrupt it. Unity, fragment it into a million pieces. Human flourishing, push it to anarchy or tyranny. Either will do. His anti-life, pro-death, pro-chaos agenda is an insatiable fire. And we know this too on a personal level. The enemy, he wants to rob you of your joy. He wants to confuse your thinking, steal your peace, lock you in chains, make you doubt your identity, and keep you from the Father. And so Paul writes in verse 11, put on full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Before that, in verse 10, he writes, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, I really want you to hear this. When, when, when Paul says this, when he says be strong, Paul is not saying man up. That's not what he's saying here. Uh, this, this verse is written in the plural. Now, this, is something that, this is something that we should aspire to together, collectively, as the church community. But it's also written in the passive. Now, this is something that happens to us. This is not about us relying on our own strength but it's about us relying on God. You know, you remember, you remember, don't you, back in chapter three when I spoke about how the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us and how every authority has been put under Jesus' seat. You remember that, don't you? You haven't forgotten that? Because Paul knows that the readers of his letter haven't forgotten that. That's very, very clear. That's very, very present in their minds as they're reading at this passage. He wants to make it very clear that we're not talking about equal and opposite forces here, that Jesus has the victory. William Gurnall was a Puritan Anglican priest in the 1600s, uh, and he lived and worked in sleepy Suffolk, and he wrote a book called The Christian Incomplete Armour. And he wrote uh, 261 chapters, 1,472 pages on just these verses that we're looking at today. And John Newton said, if I might read only one book beside the Bible, I would choose the Christian in complete armor. And this is what Gurnall wrote in his book. 
In heaven we shall appear, not in armor, but in robes of glory. But here, those pieces of armor, they are to be worn night and day. We must walk, work, and sleep in them, or else we are not true soldiers of Christ. So you and I, we have a choice. We have a choice, either to be a civilian or to be a Christian. To be a civilian or a Christian. You can't do both. While Paul was, was writing this letter, uh, he, he was actually chained to a Roman soldier. He was chained to a Roman soldier in prison. So he saw very, very up close and personal what uh, Roman soldiers were like in, in great detail. And although it's unlikely that at that specific time the, the Roman soldier would be uh, fully decked out in their entire armor, their battle armor. The good news is that you and I, we have complete armor. We have full armor. God gives you, you everything that you need to stand firm. And that's how it works. That the devil might be in the detail, but God is also in the detail too. We see that God uh, details every aspect for us. We have full and comprehensive cover for each one of us. And when Paul commands us to, to stand firm, that's the imperative, that's the, that's the command. And then everything that follows from there are the participles. So the, 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 the way to stand firm, the way that you stand firm is to put on the armor of God. So what's the armor? Firstly, in verse 14, we see, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist. Now, uh, for the Roman soldier, the belt holds it all uh, together, including their tunic and their sword. And Paul says here that this particular belt, this is the belt of truth. Because Satan's main strategy to throw you and me off course is why he's called the father of lies. It's why he's known as the accuser. His primary strategy, his primary tactic is to, is to speak lies to you and to me. And so the task here for you and me is not to, to enter into dialogue with the lies, but it's to be held by the truth. It's what Jesus did himself in the desert when he was combating the devil. Because Jesus, he knew God's word. He knew God's word well. Secondly, we see that the breastplate of righteousness, breastplate of righteousness in place. Now, this breastplate, it actually not only covers your front, but also covers, covers your back too. It covers all your vital organs. And, and Jesus has won justice. Jesus has, has won righteousness for you and me. He, he, he's placed you and me in the right with God, in right standing with God. So you and I, we have the invitation to stand up tall with our shoulders back, our back straight with this breastplate of righteousness in place. And to know that you and me, we can bring righteousness, we can bring justice into this weary world. So that's the second thing. Next we see in verse 15 that our feet can be fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. How did news travel in the ancient world? News has been traveling very, very fast this week on, on Twitter. But in the ancient world, they didn't have Twitter. What they had were runners. 
So that when a war was won, you'd, you'd send out a runner ahead, a runner who'd go to the villages and towns, let them know the news of who had won the battle. And you and I, we have good news to share. We have good news that the rightful king has come to return. He's come to return to claim his rightful throne, and he is the king of righteousness. You and I, we have good news to bring people in our world today. We see that, that this is the gospel of peace, Paul writes. What, what Ephesians has been about is, is us getting peace with God, but also that ability to have peace with one another too. And this, this gospel, Paul writes, gives us readiness, makes us ready to, to go into what we need to. And the enemy would love nothing more than you and me to be on the back foot, to not be ready. But if you, if you tie these boots, these boots of the gospel around your ankles and fit them firmly to your feet, not only will you not slip, not only will you not slide in the mud, but you and I will bring good news to a weary world. If you and I, if we, if we make the gospel the main thing about our lives, then we'll be ready. Next, Paul says in verse 16, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Do you ever just feel a bit, a bit exposed to the enemy? Like he's having a field day with you. In... Uh, Roman legions, they would, they would hold their, their shields tightly together, these shields that, that would cover their entire body, their entire body. And then um, you'd see those uh, behind the first row holding their shields above their head too. And Plutarch wrote about how Mark Antony used this formation in, in 36 BC, and he wrote this, that the resulting shape, which is a remarkable sight, looks very much like a roof and is the surest protection against arrows which just glance off it. Both Plutarch and Paul, they, they knew that, that flaming arrows are nothing when an army does this together, when an army holds their shields together. And it's, it's faith that is our shield. It's, it's our faith that we, we lock onto and lock into. It's the grid that we have. You know, Paul, has just been speaking about, uh, about false teaching, about anger, temptation, sexual immorality. And when, when we come up against these things, when we come up against doubt, when we come up against despair, when we come up against our sin and our anger and our pride and our temptation, when we come up against difficult circumstances, when tragedy knocks on our door, it's faith in Jesus that you and I need to surround us. It's also how we uh, live in the, in the opposite spirit. You know, half the battle is, is having discernment, being able to realize and discern what is going on in this particular uh, situation. You know, is, is like Ed was saying before, is, is your workplace dominated by fear? Well, you can, you can come into that workplace and bring hope and bring faith. Are you surrounded by people with a, with a narrative that is, is greedy or, or a narrative of scarcity mentality? Well, you and I, we can, we can come in with reckless generosity and belief in the goodness of God. 
Are you surrounded by pride? Or you can come in with the opposite spirit. You can come in with humility. The next thing we see in verse 17 is, is the helmet of salvation. We see this helmet is made of bronze, and the inside lining was, was made of felt, which would make that, that weight bearable. And there's this um, hinged visor as well, and you'd, you'd, you'd need an axe to pierce this helmet of salvation. We know from the Bible that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And while you and I, while you and I might not see everything in the fog of war, Jesus himself, Jesus, has armored up for you and me. In Isaiah 59, we read about God coming, and Isaiah says that God himself put on righteousness as his breastplate, that God himself put on the helmet of salvation on his head. 261 times in the Bible, we read about this Lord of hosts, this, this all-powerful, all-seeing God with his angel armies, and the battle belongs to him. When all we see is the battle, Jesus Christ sees the victory, that he has come to earth to save you and me. So put on the helmet of salvation. And finally, we see the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And praying the words of God in the power of God, that's a, that's a powerful and potent combination. Hebrews 4 tells us that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a, a double-edged sword. And this, 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 this particular weapon it's, it's what we use not only for defense, but offense. It's used for attack. And in, in your Bible, what you'll see there in, Ephesians, in the Ephesians passage is you'll see there's a new paragraph that we see for verse 18. But, but Paul says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. This shouldn't be a new paragraph. Because this is, this is the explanation of how you and I, how we wield, how we use the sword of the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit, Paul says. This is not about technique. This is not about efforts. Fundamentally speaking, this is about you and me depending on God. And that's what we see Paul doing here. He began Ephesians with a prayer and he ends Ephesians with a prayer. And the knowledge that you and I, we can be liberated from darkness we can be liberated from defeat, from despair, from death, and from hell. You and I, we can be liberated from the devil. And so for you and me, this is immensely practical. This is how this works, how the, how the armor of God works for you and me. It's prayer. You don't have to be a seasoned soldier to do this. You don't have to be super spiritual to do this. You can have been a follower of Jesus for 30 seconds to do this. There are no magic words. There's no hidden knowledge. It's simply to stand. To stand. It's that word that comes over and over again in our, in our passage, to stand, uh, Paul tells us. And the way that you stand is, is not to, to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The way that you stand is to get down on your knees and pray. That's how you and I stand. 
And Paul says, stand, stand, stand. He also says, pray, pray, pray. Pray four times, he says in this passage. So HDC, can I ask us to, to pray, to pray for our city, to pray for our country, to pray for us as a church, uh, that we would continue to grow in number and strength, to, to pray that we would push back the darkness, to pray that you and I, we would have the courage in our daily lives to preach this good news fearlessly as we should, Paul says, and to pray that more and more people would receive this good news and put their faith and their hope in the light and the love and the victory of Jesus Christ. And that's why we pray at the end of the service. Because we're soldiers, fellow soldiers, helping each other in the trenches before we go back out to battle. But before we uh, pray right now, we're going to respond by singing. We're going to respond with a battle cry. We're going to respond by singing, by worshipping to Jesus, the, the Lord of hosts, that the battle belongs to him and the victory is his.